You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Lord, we do praise you and thank you for the time that we have to be in your word. I pray that we would be hearers and doers of it today. Um, God, I pray that you'd challenge us specifically in what we see here in Genesis 2 in regards to work and how we work. And uh, Father, I pray that we would be better employees because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and that we would recognize that you have created us with purpose within work, um, that you've given that to us as a good gift. And Father, I pray that we would use that gift for your glory, for your honor, as a means of worship. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been working our way through the book of Genesis. We're into Genesis chapter 2, and last week um, we kind of wrapped up our discussion with productivity and the need for rest. And so we've talked about how God was productive six days out of the week and was still productive on that seventh day, but in a different way, kind of stepped back and and gloried in what he had accomplished that week. And so we've been challenging you as a church family to not use the excuse that in the New Testament the Sabbath mandate is no longer upon us, but to instead continue to embrace that privilege, that right, that gift of rest in the New Testament. That we, we strive to be productive in our jobs, but we also factor in times of rest so that we can step back, we can worship God over what he's accomplished in our life over the past several days of work. And then also make preparations for how to be more effective in the coming week within our job, within our responsibilities. And, and many of us have responsibilities beyond just the workplace. So we've got moms and dads, um, husbands and fathers, and, and responsibilities that, that are there that we don't get paid for. And, and those responsibilities have to be factored into our schedules as well. And I know even for me trying to be productive before this, this series, um, I've been challenged to, to reexamine my process of productivity, and God's just been really blessing me. Uh, being able to step back and be more intentional about being productive. I've been getting up earlier in the mornings to set aside time to just plan out my day, to make sure that I'm accomplishing what I need to, so that when I do come home, as best as possible, I'm able to give attention to my family and not have to do a lot of work at home. Try to be productive with the hours that God has given me so that I can rest at home and take care of the other responsibilities that God has given me as a father, as a husband. And so I'm hopeful that you're incorporating some of the things that we've talked about in the midst of this discussion about being productive. And then last week we got into looking at Genesis 2 as an overview. And we saw some of God's goodness and wisdom in what he provides here in Eden. So Genesis 2 helps us to understand the context of Genesis 3 and why Genesis 3 is such a tragedy. So Genesis 2 paints the picture of what paradise looked like for Adam and Eve and how God demonstrated wisdom and goodness in kind of setting the plate for them in Eden. We saw that that God ultimately provides a home, a job, and a companion for mankind. And these are things that we said that we wrestle with all through our, our early lives. And we referenced that weird little game, remember last week, that... Um, you play when you're in middle school and high school where you kind of flip through that piece of paper and determine where you're going to live, who you're going to marry, and what your job's going to be. Those are things that we wonder. Where am I going to live? Who am I going to marry? What's my job going to be? And we see that all of those things are sourced in God here in Genesis 2. That God ultimately prepares a home for Adam. We said that he creates him outside the Garden of Eden and then puts him in the Garden of Eden so that Adam understands provision from this God that he's just been introduced to. Remember we said Genesis 2 is all about God building a reputation with Adam and Eve. 
He wants them both to understand his goodness, his wisdom, that he's, he's a faithful God that can be trusted. And all of his actions in Genesis 2 are meant to create that understanding in them. So he creates them outside the Garden of Eden, places them in the Garden of Eden. So Adam sees one context and now sees a different context, and he sees God as the source of that. God communicates a job to Adam, gives him responsibility within this new setting. And then God anticipating the need that Adam would have for companionship. And we said that Genesis 2, we shouldn't just understand it as a, um, a need for marriage, but a need for fellowship with other human beings. Because if it's just about marriage, then this says nothing to those that are called to singleness. And so what we see, though, instead is that God has a, an understanding that man needs fellowship. And he anticipates that need before Adam even has time to pray for that need. Right? And so God brings all the animals before Adam and he sees that, that there's no fellowship, there's no companionship. Right? As great as a pet may be, as great as a dog or a cat may be, they don't talk back. They don't interact back with you. And so Adam kind of walks away from this thinking, there's, there's nothing here for me. Everything else comes from its kind. I'm the only one of my kind. And, and God has created that need in Adam, makes it obvious to Adam that he can't meet that need himself, puts Adam to sleep, creates Eve, continues to show his wisdom and his goodness and his provision. So God really sets the table uh, for Adam. Perfect environment. No excuses for falling into sin. No excuses. We even highlighted the fact, remember in Genesis 3, that Adam and Eve, it says that when they saw that the tree of knowledge of evil, good and evil was good for food and pleasant to the eye, that they took of it. And I said, if you're not careful, you look at that and you say, that's just totally unfair for God to create the greatest tree possible and then tell them no. That Genesis 2 actually says all of the trees were pleasant to the eye and good for food. That there was no reason to step out and eat of this tree because God had already been good enough in giving them every tree that was good for food and pleasant to the eye. And so it's no excuse for them to sin because God is so good in his provision to them. So I challenged you last week, do we trust God enough to obey him? Because that's really what Genesis 2 is about. God builds this reputation, shows that he's worth trusting, worth obeying, and then it came down to what will Adam and Eve choose to do? Obey or disobey. Ultimately, they didn't want God running their life. They didn't want him controlling them, and they stepped out of his goodness and made decisions on their own. And we're going to see today even how that's a violation of what God had called Adam to do from the standpoint of his work, his job. But we referenced Deuteronomy 30 as well, that while we're sinful, that mandate is still given to us today. In the same way that, that Israel was challenged, are you going to serve God? Or do things your way, that still applies to us. Are we going to trust God and his goodness and his provision in our life? Are we going to trust him with everything and obey him? Or are we going to resent his control over our life and do things the way that we want to do them? Alright, we're going to come back to this idea of paradise. So last week paradise was given. We're going to see paradise lost in the next couple of weeks in Genesis 3. And also the idea of paradise restored in the book of Revelation. But we're going to step away from that theme today and look at a theology of work. A theology of work. And I want to draw on the principles that we see here in Genesis 2 as God gives the mandate of work to Adam, again, prior to the curse. So, so work is a good thing. It's not a curse. It's not something that was given to Adam and Eve as punishment. Right? So paradise was not the, the, the vacation resort that, that many of us would say is paradise. 
It wasn't a place where they were just allowed to sit back, sit by the beach and have people bring them things whenever they wanted it. There was, there was work involved in paradise. God had created an earth that needed Adam to cultivate it. Needed Adam to work it if it was going to reach its full potential. And so God gives him this idea of work, gives him purpose for his existence that you're not just here, you're here for a purpose, you're here for a reason. And you're going to use this aspect of work to worship me. A theology of work. We spend the majority of our lives at work. The majority of your life will be spent sleeping and working. And then the gaps in between are filled in with family time and doing some of the things that we enjoy doing. But the majority of our our lives, the majority of our day, is spent sleeping and working. Even if you don't have a job, you're a stay-at-home mom. Obviously, you have a high calling, a high job of raising your children at home. And so, in no way does that deter you or, or single you out and make you not fall into that category. We spend the majority of our days working. Um, worship is not just about coming here on Sundays, obviously, and, and giving a little bit of time to God and then going back and doing the other things in our life. We need to figure out how can we worship God best in the main way that we spend our day. The majority of our time spent at work, how do we worship God effectively during that time? I thought it would be helpful, um, because we do have people visiting, and, and so I thought it would be helpful for us to, and so I'm not going to mandate that everybody respond, but I would like to hear from a lot of people here. Um, I think it would be helpful for us to kind of share some of the things that we do for a living, right? So we obviously don't want to find our identity in our work. But what we do with our life, what we do as an occupation, does say a lot about us as far as uh, the type of struggles that we're going to encounter during the week and how we can pray for each other. Uh, it says a lot about um, the, the, the type of things that we can offer and, and benefit others with. You know, it, it, Sometimes it's helpful to know that other people in our church do certain things because you don't know how to do those things. right? Uh, and so you're able to call upon each other to, to help each other out. So I thought it would be good and helpful for us to, to begin our time together today just sharing some of the things that we do for a living. It helps us know each other better, helps us understand context a little bit better about where everybody's coming from. And I'll be honest, some of you work jobs that, that I continue to have to ask you what you do. It's not because I have a bad memory. It's because I just really don't understand what you do when you tell me. And so I can't remember it because I didn't understand it the first time. And so it's also helpful for me for one more time to hear what you do for a living, right? Uh, Catherine's not here, so I can use her as an example. Um, I don't know what Catherine does. Like, she's an engineer. She's extremely smart. Like, she challenges me to be smarter when I talk to her. Um, I don't know what Catherine does for a living. Like, I ask her every time we go out to dinner, what do you do? What do you do for a living again? Like, what's your job? Um, so she's an example of that type of person that, that works a really important job because there's times when I ask her questions about her job and she says, and that's classified, and you're not allowed to know that, which means it's really important, right? <laughs> but I just couldn't tell you what it is right now, uh, even though I've heard her tell you multiple times. So let's get some feedback. What are, what are things that, that people in our church do for a living? And we can be a little bit more intimate today since our numbers are, are lower today because people are traveling, so... Yeah. I teach elementary school and public school What school do you teach at, Melissa? Elementary. All right. Trying to get Melissa to come over and teach at Trinity Christian School. Um, hopefully down down the road she'll be able to do that. Special ed. 
All right, so Chris teaches special ed at uh, middle school at the Bedford School I'm over in that same area. Other things that people do for a living. All right, uh, Andrew works at the Chick-fil-A here at the end of Rockaway Road. I am a merchandiser for Coca-Cola. All right, Dave delivers Cokes to different... You set up the Cokes that are already there. Sorry. <laughs> See, perfect example. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the coats are already there, and Dave puts them on the shelves at different uh, grocery stores and locations like that. Okay. I'm a visitor. Uh, Greg, this is always fun to joke. I'm a money changer. Okay. <laughs> I run the pork pantry. Nice. Mostly these for me. Okay. You don't shave your gold, right? You don't shave your gold, right? You don't shave your gold. I'm a little from the outside. So do you work at the airport every day? Like, is that your location? Yeah, uh, 10 stores I run there. Okay. Sweet. Okay. Sweet. Remember, the Lord has blessed our church with lots of medical people. And remember, one of our goals in the back is we're sending people overseas to plant a church, and it would be so helpful for medical people to go. So the Lord continues to bring us medical people, if nothing else, to replace the ones that are going to leave when we plant that church. God's good provision. He's good. He's wise. He brings us exactly what we need, right? Other things we do for a living. I'm a nurse, but specifically staff development coordinator. At a nursing home. Okay. Okay. Say the first part again. Head manager. Head manager. Cake decorator at um, Great American, Great American Food Company at the Avenue. <laughs> Nurse, where? At Spalding. Cortland's not here today. She's a nurse at Spalding, but moving over to as well. She'll be working at Fayette Piedmont, too. And her husband, Jesse, is an EMT. Will's an EMT as well, so we have a lot of medical. Other things people do for a living? I'm a nanny. Nanny? Okay. I'm a dental assistant. Dental assistant? <laughs> Your office is in Noonan? Griffin. Griffin. Okay. Me and Toby work at Chick-fil-A Corporate as warehouse staff. classes in Griffin. All right. So, so um, a lot of times, and we're going to talk about this later, a lot of times 
that's the first question that we, we ask somebody that we meet, right? We, we exchange names, and then we typically exchange our occupations. And maybe without even realizing it, a lot of times we feel like we have to answer that question in such a way to almost prove our worth. You know, this is what I do, and if, and if you're in your mind you think this really isn't important, sometimes we feel the need to almost dress it up, right? Like, this is what I do. But it's really more important than that, right? Like, I, like I do more than just work at a warehouse, right? Like, there's there's important things, logistics there that are done. Um, and, and, and so sometimes we even feel that notion that we have to convince others that we're important and that we're doing a good job in our work. And I, and I want us to see today that the value of our work comes from who we work for, obviously, that, that God has given us work regardless of what we actually end up doing. You know, we kind of referenced this, that there's times and seasons in our life where we work jobs that, that on paper, maybe it's hard to argue how this could be eternally significant, that, that we don't really see a lot coming from what we actually do. And I want us to see today, hopefully in a freeing way, that the fact that we're working is a gift from God, and that we can worship God no matter what occupation it is that we have, right? There's some that are, that are maybe easier, right? So I'm a, I was a Bible teacher for a while and a principal. It's not hard to come up with ways, how do I worship God in that, in that capacity? How do I serve God? Because a lot of the times I'm dealing with the Bible, right? So it's not hard for me in my occupation to come up with ways to worship God. But for others, it may be difficult. As Dave uh, stocks shelves with coats, it may be difficult for him mentally to figure out what's the eternal significance of this. Why, why am I doing this? Why is this a good gift from God? And so I want us to all kind of see what it means to worship God based on the occupation that he's given to us currently. All right? How do we worship God through work? Before we get into, I'm going to give you five points today to kind of take away and, and hopefully focus on incorporating into your job and your work week. But the Hebrew word for work is abad, and it's the same root word for worship. So when, when it talks about God giving work to Adam here in Genesis 2, the word that's used has the same root word for worship. And so we know that God gave the command to Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree. And it could be easy to look at that and say, well, the way that Adam and Eve are called to worship God is to not eat of that tree. And then everything else is just kind of on the side. And yet what we really see in Genesis 2 is that God gave work to Adam and Eve as their primary way of worshiping him. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was, was a, a sign of their faith and trust in him. But ultimately God gave them a job, gave them work to do, and they were to worship God through that work. God created us to take the raw materials of the earth and develop them for the glory of God. And the good of others. Okay, so we said that Adam and Eve were created into a world where there were certain things that weren't happening, right? And back in uh, Genesis 2-5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. There were some things that weren't happening because man hadn't been created yet. God created the earth, created it in a very good state. But think about a lot of the things that were missing from that environment that we have today. Electricity, 
light. Right? John, John participates in, in, in the inventing of, of, of light and the ways that we use light. Th- those things didn't exist when God first put Adam and Eve here. There were no buildings. There were no homes. There was no transportation. There was no, um, there was no internet. Right? The internet is such, a, such a, an abused tool, obviously. But when we think about the internet and, and, and social media and the ways that it allows us to send the gospel forth in, in, in massive ways that were never possible when Jesus first gave the command to go and make disciples of all nations. That we can, we can teach over here in America, translate it into a different language, and immediately send it to, this, to uh, countries overseas and have them reaping the benefits of theology and training that has occurred over here. Those are, those are examples of how mankind has taken the raw materials of this earth and expanded upon God's creation to, to, um, to give him glory and for the benefit of others. Right? So it's not that we make creation better. It's not that we improve upon what God already did. But it does say that God created the world in such a way where he allows us to do things to further his creation. That's part of how we image him. We image God because as a creator, he has created us with the ability to invent things and to create things and to further the raw materials that are already here in place. Some examples of this. Uh, Contractors take the raw materials of sand and cement and construct buildings. Artists take raw materials of color and music and they arrange them into art. Chefs take raw ingredients and prepare exquisite meals. Right? These are examples of mankind. These are, these are average, normal jobs. Right? People that work in restaurants. People that work in contracting businesses. People that make music and art. These are individuals that take the raw materials of the earth, manipulate them, use them for purposes where God can receive glory and others can receive the benefit. It's a way that we image God. Right? We talk about his sovereignty, that God works everything for his glory and the good of his children. In the same way, as as human beings, we're to work this earth. We're to work our jobs for God's glory and for the benefit of others. And every single job that's represented here, every single job that's represented in this room, you have the opportunity to use that job for his glory and for the benefit of others. We're going to see that today, hopefully. In Psalms 147, I want to read this verse, and then I want you to tell me some examples of how God does this through jobs. Psalm 147, 13, and 14. For he, talking about God, we'll start in verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. These are some things that God provides his people, provides the nation of Israel. It's things that God provides other countries as well, provides our country. Strengthening the bars of our gates, blessing our children, making peace in our borders, filling us with the finest of the wheat. How does God strengthen the bars of our gates? Well, God provides city planners, 
architects, politicians, individuals that are, are uh, important to the structure of the cities that we live in, people that help organize the culture that we live in, individuals that are responsible for strengthening the gates of our borders. He provides teachers and doctors to bless our children, right? We visit, we visit doctors when our children are sick. We're not all, uh, a lot of us in here have, have medical backgrounds, but not all of us have medical backgrounds. Not all of us are capable of identifying what's going on with our kids. And so we rely on doctors, nurses, that God provides our cities to help take care of our children. Yes, God blesses our children within our, within our nation, within our country, within our city, but he does it through these occupations. He provides teachers uh, to help educate our children. For those that, that aren't called to stay at home with their kids and do the homeschool route, uh, God, provides, God graciously provides teachers within our community. Public school teachers, Christian school teachers, private school teachers. They can help educate our children. They can help fill in some of the gaps where maybe we don't feel qualified to teach our children some of the things that they need to know. He provides lawyers and policemen to protect our borders, to make peace in our borders. These are occupations, normal jobs. Normal jobs that provide the benefit of those that live in the city. He provides factory workers and farmers and restaurant owners to give us the finest of the wheat, right? To provide us with the food that we enjoy. There aren't, I'm not aware of anybody in here that grows their own food and raises their own, their own uh, chickens and their own cows and uh, has their own farms where they gather all of their food from that, right? We go to the grocery stores. We go to the grocery stores to get the food and the nourishment that we need. We rely on others that God has provided to accomplish those things for us. So God blesses us with those things, but he uses the route of occupation. He uses the route of work to bless us with those things. And in fact, we see in Exodus 31, now I don't want to argue that this is always the case, but we do see in Exodus 31 where at times the Holy Spirit specifically indwells people and equips them to do certain normal jobs and tasks. In Exodus 31, it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. All right, they're getting ready to build, and God says, I've equipped individuals with the Holy Spirit to do this effectively. Right? So, so even as Christians with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, Holy Spirit works through us, works through our jobs so that God gets glory and others around us reap the benefits. I want to give you some, some practical advice today in how we can accomplish this within our own jobs. How we can use our jobs as, a, as an arena, as an avenue for worshiping God. How do we worship God through work? What sets us apart from the world? And, and this is a big thing for me is that I believe in your job, whatever it is you do, whatever it is you, you go to each day as a, as a, as a job, as a, as a place of work, as a believer, it should look different. It should look different than what it looks like for your coworkers to come to that same environment. The way you handle yourself in that environment, the way that you work, the way that you, that you respond to things, the, the way that you handle yourself should look far different 
than the way a lost person would look in the same environment. I want to give you some ways that we can set ourselves apart from the world. Number one, content calling. We view our jobs with the perspective of it being a content calling. Our jobs are part of God's purpose for our created lives. To bring him glory on this earth. Our jobs are part of God's purpose for our created lives. To bring him glory on this earth. Right? So, it starts by seeing your job as a calling. Right? We talk about people being called to ministry, called to go off to seminary, called to be a pastor or a youth pastor. We don't always talk about somebody being called to be an electrician, called to be a nurse. Right? Like, we we almost want to separate that and say, one... You're on your own, right? Like you decided to do that on your own. These guys over here, they were called and had no choice. They had to go off to seminary and be a pastor, right? And I don't think that we have to make that that, such that strong division there, right? Some of us are are called in the sense that God placed certain desires within us. You didn't didn't ask to want to be a teacher, right? For whatever whatever reason, whatever ways, God worked in your life where there was desires that were, were created there in you that you didn't really control. And so God directed your paths into that occupation. Right? And so, so we can argue that, that God has called all of us into the jobs that we have currently. That he's placed us there. He's used circumstances. He's used desires for each one of us to be placed where we are. And he intends for us to worship him there in that environment. It's a calling. It's a purpose. God put Adam and Eve in the garden and told them to take care of it. It was part of their purpose of being created. Part of your purpose here on this earth is to work the job that God has given you. And to work it well. And to use it as a means of worshiping him. Philippians 4.11. The idea of contentment in that. Because many of us are okay with the idea of worshiping God in our jobs. But a lot of us would choose a different job to do that in. Right? There's some discontentment that maybe exists in our hearts. Paul says in Philippians 4.11, though, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then verse 13, one of the most abused passages that's ripped out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not that I can do everything that I think I can do because Christ strengthens me. It's the fact that I can learn to be content in any circumstance that I'm dealt. Because I trust that God is going to be good in that circumstance. That God is going to be good in the job that he's placed me in. I'm going to be content whether it's a job I like or a job that I don't like. I'm going to work that job for his glory. I'm going to be content whether I'm in abundance or in need. Whether it's something that I like or something that I don't like. Whether my circumstances are desirable or not desirable. I'm going to find contentment in it because God has called me to it. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. 
Right? We argue when we're not content with a situation. When we feel like we have something better to offer, more knowledge, we have a better idea, our way's right. That's when we're prone to argue. The Bible here says that as servants, we're to be submissive to our masters. In this context, it's far harder because you're talking about somebody who's owned by an individual, a slave. You be submissive to your master and don't argue. It's a lot harder for us to live this way because we don't have to work for this individual. And yet we've placed ourselves under that individual. I think the principle still applies. You don't argue with your boss. You're submissive to them in everything. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. How you work reflects on Christ. You walk into an office, hey, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and then you, you just putter out in the job and just, I mean, it's just awful. Your, your, your attitude's awful, your, your, your work ethic's awful, what you're producing in the job is awful. Why would anybody want to come to Christ? Why would anybody want to come to your church if this is what it means to be a Christian in the job? How we work reflects on Christ. We can either adorn him, we can make Christ look good based on how we work, or we can disgrace him. We can drive people away from him based on our work performance. Our jobs are part of God's purpose. We're to be content. We're to see it as a calling and not just a necessary evil. It's not a curse to work. It's a gift. God has given us purpose here on this earth. It's a gift from God. Now what we see in, in the life of Adam is that Adam is discontent with his job. Adam's discontentment is seen in his desire for a different job with different responsibilities. What do you mean by that? Adam ate the tree. How does that have anything to do with his job? Because God had placed him in the garden as God's vice regent. Remember, not as God. Remember, God had put him in that context, but he had also put him there with the realization of, you can't do this on your own, you still need me, right? The, the land has to be cultivated because man needs to work it and God needs to provide the water for it. So God doesn't just create Adam and Eve and, and kind of step back from a deistic perspective and say, okay, you guys just run with it and go. No, there was a partnership, there was a, a co-laborship that was meant to be there. That God is over everything, this is my universe, I've created you to help me work it. Because I'm good and I'm gracious and I want to include you in my plans. But Adam's discontent with that job. He's discontent with that job because when Satan shows up and says, you can be like the boss. You can be like the one who's giving out all the rules and giving out all the instructions. Adam says, well, that's better than working for him. I'd rather just be him. I'd rather take myself out from being submissive to my master and instead become the master. And a lot of us are prone to do that within our jobs, right? We don't necessarily come out and boldly proclaim that. But a lot of us are prone to undermine our bosses with our attitudes and our actions in the workforce. We have side conversations about those that are above us. And maybe we talk about how they're doing a poor job. We belittle our bosses. We talk about our bosses and our, our bosses' uh, um, incompetence, maybe. With other co-workers. And what we show, what we demonstrate is, I'm discontent with my job. I'd rather be above. 
I'd rather be the head man. I've got better ideas. I've got better thoughts and better solutions to what's going on here in our job. Adam was discontent with his job, discontent with his responsibilities. He says, you know what? I want something different. And it caused him to do his current job poorly, right? He was supposed to guard and protect the garden, that the threat of evil was real. And Satan comes in and Adam does nothing to protect his wife, does nothing to protect the future of the human race. Instead, all he's concerned about is his promotion. Rather than doing his job the way that he's supposed to and doing it well, he's worried about trying to get a promotion and manipulating it to get a promotion. I'm going to eat at this tree. I'm going to be like God. He steps out from his current responsibilities to try to pursue something different. Adam wants to be God rather than work for God. He complains about his boss and complains about his job, right? Satan, Satan convinces Adam and Eve to believe that God's not a good boss. That he's not good, that he doesn't have their good intentions in mind. And so they doubt him, they're discontent with him, which leads them to eat of the tree. And it's not because the tree looked good and because it was pleasant for food, because all the trees were that way. It was their discontentment with God. How do we pursue a job situation where we're content? Because it's hard to be content, especially if you're working a job that you don't like. How do we pursue this? How do we worship God by being content in the job? I try to advise people all the time, strive to find a job you enjoy based on your giftings and desires. You can, you can help yourself out pursuing contentment in the job force by pursuing a job that you believe you're going to enjoy based on your giftings and desires. Now, that's not a, an encouragement to, to go out and pick the most ideal job and pursue that and not settle for anything less than that, right? Um, it, it's an encouragement to examine yourself and say, okay, these are desires God's given me. But he's also gifted me too, right? Because God has given me a desire. I would love to, to, uh, for people to pay me to take them hunting and fishing, right? Jesse and I were having a conversation over the summer. It would be so awesome to move to the coast and, and buy a boat that people charter and you take them out on the ocean and you take them fishing every day. That would be awesome. Like, I would love that. That would be so much fun. I'm not gifted to really do that. I don't know a whole lot about fishing in a way where I'm good at it, right? Like, I like to fish, but fish break my line. I, I go many days without catching a fish. Nobody's going to pay me to take them to fish because I can't find the fish myself, right? So there's desires that I have, but it doesn't go along with giftings, right? But the job that I work, the job that I work, when I, when I was young, when I was middle school, high school, I remember at times being asked by teachers, write down your dream job. What do you want to do? It always included being an administrator at a school, coaching football, and working in a local church. That was always what I wanted to do. I had desires that were placed there very early in my life. I pursued those and equipped myself through God's grace to be able to do these things. And God has graciously given me a job that I love doing. There was a time this week I had... Five or six sixth grade boys, were, they're sitting in my conference room. I had to pull them all out of class, and we're all sitting there talking about their inappropriate conversations and jokes that they've been having during PE and other settings. And So I'm sitting there talking through it with them, and I, and I stepped back and I just said, this is awesome. Like This is, this is amazing that, that this is what I'm paid to do. 
to, to serve as a, a, a male figure, for some maybe even a father figure in that setting, because maybe dad's not, uh, maybe dad's not connected at home like he needs to be. But if nothing else, serving as a pastoral figure, a youth pastor figure in that setting, guiding these young boys to understand what it means to walk with Christ and to demonstrate that in the way they interact with each other. I was just really blown away. I was just like, I am so blessed and privileged to work a job that, that, that matches with my desires and giftings. And I constantly encourage people to pursue that. You know, Tyson Tyson's an example where he was striving for contentment at Chick-fil-A, working a job, working it faithfully, and, and it reached a point, I believe, where he was content and almost felt guilty to leave that setting and come work at Trinity and teach Bible. And so we had numerous conversations. And I don't want to be content. Like, God has got, like, this is a good job. God's given it to me. And, and we discussed the fact, Tyson, you, you have desires and giftings that can be better utilized in this setting. Don't feel guilty about leaving this job to pursue something that it will be easier to be content. You know, so it wasn't a move where I'm, I'm leaving because I'm discontent. You know, it wasn't running from a situation. But it was a situation where he said, you know what, my giftings and desires match up perfectly with this job, I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to do it. And so I encourage people all the time, find a job. Pursue a job that matches your desires and giftings. It's a lot easier to be content in that type of setting. It, it, it should go without saying, though, that, that um, the work is hard even when you find a job you enjoy. Right? My dream job doesn't mean that I get up every day and say, I'm ready to go to work. I love going to work. Right? There's plenty of days where I wake up and say, wish I was going fishing, wish I was going hunting instead, right? Work is still hard. That is part of the curse. We will toil and labor in our work harder than we were intended to do because of sin. So even, even in pursuing a dream job, you'll never get a job where you just say, all right, this is it. I've arrived. Like work is now easy all the time. There's no struggle. There's no strife that I have to encounter. It's part of the curse. Part of the curse, but I believe God gives us giftings and desires to pursue jobs that satisfy us, not separate from him, not outside of him. But God is a good God who gives good gifts. It makes sense that he wants to give good jobs to us that, that we're, we're far easier to find contentment in because of the desires and giftings that he's also given to us. Obviously, the perfect scenario would be a job that's fulfilling and fruitful, that's perfectly suited for our talents and dreams, and that it pays us an exorbitant amount of money, right? That, that's the perfect scenario. A job that we love, that everything we do is fruitful, and we get paid tons of money for doing it. That's not the world we live in. That's the world that Adam and Eve lived in, right? They were given a job that perfectly matched their talents and giftings. They were guaranteed to experience fruit from their labor, and God was paying them exorbitantly for it, right? They were living in paradise, living in perfect fellowship with him, walking and talking with Yahweh every day. They forfeited that. They forfeited that. And so now we work jobs where we get glimpses of that. We get glimpses. We come home from a day and we say, man, that was a good day at work. I feel satisfied. I feel fulfilled. I feel like God used me today. And then we go the next day and we experience strife and toil and we say, oh, Jesus, come back, right? Like, I, I'm tired of working. We get glimpses of what Adam and Eve were experiencing daily before they sinned. We get glimpses of what eternity is going to be like 
Remember we said that we will work in eternity. That eternity is not going to be a place where we're just all lounging around, sitting around, enjoying our vacation for eternity. That there's going to be jobs for us to do. But it's going to be a situation where we experience fruit in every bit of our labor. We get paid exorbitantly for it. Satisfying and fulfilling with our giftings. What do I do if I work a job that I don't enjoy? What do I do if I'm in a situation where I'm working a job and it's just it's not what I'm gifted to do? It's not what I want to do. I believe there's, there's seasons in our life where it's necessary at times to work jobs that we don't enjoy. And the way that we endure those times, right? Like I would never encourage somebody to stay in a job that they just absolutely hate, that they're not gifted to do. And say no to an opportunity that would be far more fulfilling for them. But there are times and seasons in our life where we have to work a job that we don't enjoy doing. The bowling alley was the example for me that I use all the time. For about six, seven, maybe eight months, I had to work the midnight to 3 a.m. shift at a bowling alley in Henry County. And it was not something I was gifted to do. It's not something I wanted to do. I had a master's level degree, and that's what I was doing as a job, right? I had moved home to help take care of my mom when my dad left. That was the job that God gave me to provide for my bills during that season of my life. Looking back on it, if I did it again, I believe that I could thrive in that environment and worship God better in that environment if I simply focused on how this job, as much as I didn't like it, didn't enjoy it, how this job could be used for the good of others, right? The bowling alley is a, is a, for the most part, not so much from 12 to 3, but it is a family environment where families come to enjoy time together. And the better the environment, the better the experience is for the family. So if I had to go back and do it again, my perspective would be, okay, I'm working at a bowling alley. I feel like I should be doing something better, something that I'm gifted at, something that my degree is actually in. But to go in and embrace that and say, I'm going to make this the best family experience possible because there are Christian families and non-Christian families that are coming here to enjoy family time. And I'm going to make sure that they do that. I'm going to make sure the dad that's sacrificing his money to bring his family here reaps the benefits of enjoying it with his family. So I'm going to make sure that the bowling alley works properly and they're not frustrated because every time they bowl, the thing comes down and doesn't raise the things up, right? And they're constantly buzzing up front and saying, ours is broken, ours is broken. Right? Like, I'm going I'm to do everything I can to, to make that environment work so that that family leaves with a good, wholesome experience as a family. So I would challenge you to think, especially if you're working a job right now that's, that's not your long-term job. Right? It's not where you ultimately want to go. Challenging yourself saying, hey, how is this going to be used for the betterment of others? And how can I worship God and find joy and contentment in the midst of it? Right? So, Dave, you're, you're, you're stocking Cokes right now. You may really enjoy that. I don't know. But I'm guessing that's not what you long-term want to do, unless the pay increases, maybe. And maybe that's something that you could you can consider doing long-term. But think, just using you as an example, Coke is obviously not something that people need, right? Like, nobody's going to die if they don't have Coke. Um, some people maybe have put themselves in a position where they have to have it. Um <laughs> So, so, so how does somebody like Dave find, find joy and contentment? And even how does he view his job from an eternal significance standpoint? 
And I was thinking about this morning as I was getting ready, because I do know what you do, even though I kind of messed it up at the beginning. Um, I, I do feel confident that I know what you do. Um, and so I was thinking about you this morning. How does, how do, if I was in Dave's spot, how do I get up every morning and, and pursue joy and contentment and, and use it as a way of worshiping God? And I got to thinking how, how Coke is it just about every party, it's at every youth group event, it's at every church event that we go to and experience most oftentimes. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a drink, a beverage that most of the time unites us when we gather around the table. And I was thinking about the fact that, you know, you, you work a job where maybe it's hard to see eternal significance, but knowing that, that you're serving a product, you're stocking a product, that will find its way into situations where, where people are being united around the table, people are, are, are having gospel-relevant conversations. And you can find joy and contentment in knowing, I'm doing something that, that doesn't seem eternally significant, maybe, but that God uses God uses for his glory and for his purposes. And, and all of us can do that with our jobs, especially those that are, that are in a situation where you say, this isn't what I want to do long term. How do I find joy, contentment, and a worshipful attitude in this? And it's figuring out how this meshes with God's plan for you to take the raw materials of this earth, use it for his glory, and for the benefit of others. We endure jobs sometimes that are a means to a bigger purpose as well. You know, that bowling alley situation, for me, it allowed me to be here to take care of my mom. Paul was a tent maker. Paul was a tent maker. We don't hear a whole lot about his tent making, though. His tent making enabled him to plant churches. So Paul kind of, kind of used his job as a springboard for doing other jobs that he didn't really get paid for. But his job enabled him to serve the kingdom. And for so some of you, it may be accepting jobs in this area just so you can be in this area at Sovereign Hope. Right? Like you could go off somewhere and get a better job in a bigger city and make a lot more money. But for some of you, God may say, I want you to work here. I want you to work a job that's not your ideal job, but it's going to pay the bills. It's going to keep you in this context so that you can serve faithfully in this church and really advance the kingdom. And your job enables you to do that. Ultimately, when we're content in our jobs, it sets us up to thrive in our jobs. If you're content in your job, you're far more likely to thrive in your job and worship God in your job and be effective in your job. Because when you're not content, most of your time is spent trying to figure out how to get out of the job, how to find a different job. But if you can reach the level of being content, God has called me to this, at least for this time, I'm going to do it well, and I'm going to do it for his glory and for the benefit of others. When you're content in your job, you're set up to thrive in your job. All right, number two, and we're going to go through the, the rest of these faster. Number two, excellent efficiency. Excellent efficiency. We put forth maximum effort for his maximum glory. We worship God in our jobs when we pursue excellence in the things that we're called to do there, and we do it efficiently. My efficient efforts at work will set me up to thrive at home. My efficient efforts at work will set me up to thrive at home. See, I'm getting up earlier to set the course for my day because I want to be as efficient as possible so that I don't have to bring work home that imposes upon my family time, my responsibilities as a husband, as a father. 
Right? Lauren has had to endure times in our life where, where because of the jobs that I was working, work was at home almost every night. And I don't want that to be our long-term situation. I want to be as efficient as possible at work so that when I come home, work stops. Not because I'm being lazy and not because I'm not accomplishing what I need to. It's just that I'm becoming so efficient at work that I don't have to bring it home. So that I can be a, so I can be a husband and a dad and fulfill those other roles that God has given me. My efficient efforts at work set me up to thrive at home. My efficient efforts at work help ensure my continued work. My efficient efforts at work ensure my continued work. What do I mean by that? 2 Thessalonians 3. Verses 6 through 13. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, to earn their own living. The harder we work, the more efficient we work, the more we pursue excellence in our jobs ensures that we don't fall into this category of individuals who are idle and not doing their best and don't deserve to eat when they lose their job, right? We work hard. We work efficiently. We work and pursue excellence. We don't do our jobs halfway. We do them well. We do them well so that we maintain our jobs. I, I, tell, I tell my staff at Trinity all the time, you need to work in such a way that it would be hard to fire you. That when budget cuts happen, that you're on the list of ain't no way, ain't no how this person's going. Because this person is excellent and efficient and does everything that they're asked. And I challenge my staff all the time. Don't be the person that just comes in here and gets by. Does enough work to keep the job. You need to be the type of person that makes it hard for anybody to ever want to see you walk out the door. And that's just really a general good rule to live by within the job force. If your job's not a better place because you're there, then you're probably not worshiping God there. If your job, if your environment is not a better environment since you were hired, an individual and dwelt by the Holy Spirit who's pursuing Christ and the good of others and the benefit of others, an individual who's called to put the needs of others above their own needs, somebody who's called to be content, somebody who's called not to gossip, somebody who's called not to be idle, Right? If you, if you take all that together and put it into an individual who's been hired to work at a job, if that, if that place of employment's not better with you there, then you're probably not worshiping God when you go there every day. Probably not worshiping God when you go there every day. We work efficient, we work excellent to ensure that we continue to work. Listen to what this author said. Christians ought to pursue excellence in their work, not because they want to impress their boss or because working hard leads to better pay, but because they work first for Christ. This perspective adds new significance to every task believers perform, even if they know they will never be recognized. 
They no longer require the approval of others in their work because they no longer work primarily for others. They work first for Christ, and he deserves their best. Right? We work excellent, we work efficient, because we ultimately work for Christ. The job was given to us by Christ. He expects our best. So we work and we maximize our effort for his maximum glory. Number three, ethical effort. Ethical effort. In the midst of a toilsome and draining environment, we strive to do the right thing all the time. Work is hard because of sin. And because we don't like hard work, we are prone to cut corners to make work easier on ourselves. And it potentially introduces the idea of being unethical in the employment area for us to try to make it easier for us. Now, we won't, we won't take time to do this, but I want you to kind of think about yourself, about your coworkers, some examples that maybe you see of unethical behavior within the, within the, within the job that you work. People that you know maybe are, are dishonest with their time cards. People that you know that call in sick when they're not sick, to, to stay out of work. People that manipulate the situation. And, and the longer you work at a job, the, the, the easier it is to find loopholes in the system to where you can make things easier on yourself. And you begin to, you begin to cross ethical standards that maybe you normally wouldn't have. But because you've worked in the job now, you see how it works. You see other people doing it this way. You know that if the boss knew about it, he probably wouldn't be okay with it. But the boss doesn't know, and so you can get away with it. A Christian who's striving to worship God in the workforce does so in a way that it's ethical and it's right. And not just when the boss is there to see it. Because we work for a different boss. And so we do the right thing all the time. Because it's the right thing to do. Ephesians 4.28 Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The encouragement to do honest work, to do right work, to do ethical work, to work hard, but to do it the right way. My work efforts are to support the cause of Christ in the eyes of those watching me. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. While your boss may not see the unethical behavior, your co-workers probably do. And they may not be concerned about it. They may not turn you in for it. But it does reflect on Christ when our co-workers see our behavior. And if it's not right, it reflects poorly on Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. To aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Our, our, the way that we perform our job is to be done so in a way that's proper. That when other people look at it, other people examine our work, that's right. That's being done properly and reflects well on Christ. We won't look at this passage, but I encourage you to read Proverbs 11. The whole chapter. Proverbs 11 um, really has a lot to do with ethical behavior uh, within the job. Um, I encourage you to read that. It's just a little bit long. Starts off, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Just talking about the honesty there in, in, in the means of, of measuring things. 
um, you know, with, with the exchanging of money. There's a perfect example here that there, there's, a, there's a way to do it right, there's a way to do it wrong. You know, reference to shaving the gold off. That would be the wrong way to do it, right? Perfect example of this. Um, God honors ethical work. God honors work that's done rightly. Verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Encourage you to read through Proverbs 11. has a lot to say about ethical work. Number four, prepared punctuality. Prepared punctuality. This is something I challenge my staff with all the time. We come to work on time and prepared to accomplish the tasks laid before us. We come to work on time and prepared to accomplish the tasks laid before us. I can speak as one who has people under, underneath me. There is nothing that annoys me more than people who come late or come unprepared. I tell, I tell my staff at the beginning of the year, you want to get on my bad side, here's the things you can do. It's when you're having to run copies during the middle of the day for your class when you didn't properly plan to run copies of your test the day before or during your planning period. I can't stand having to see teachers leave the classroom and go do things, have to leave their class. People are paying money for that education, and you're having to step outside to go prepare because you didn't properly prepare. Now, I know there's times when, when unforeseen circumstances lead to that, but there's individuals, that's the pattern. That's the norm, to come late to work and to come unprepared. And I can speak to you as one who is a boss over people, your boss drives him nuts, I'm sure, if you show up late and show up unprepared. doesn't matter the excuses. The boss doesn't want to hear the excuses. Get up and get to work. Arrange your morning in a way that allows you to be there on time and prepared. Number five, proper perspective. Proper perspective. So we have to be content. If we're going to worship God in our job, we have to be content. We have to see it as a calling and not a necessary evil. We have to pursue it with excellence and pursue it with efficiency. We have to be ethical in the midst of it. We have to be prepared and punctual. And number five, we have to maintain a proper perspective. Our job is a gift to be used as worship, not a God to be worshipped. If we're not careful, the job becomes too high of a priority in our life. We're wanting to do so well at it. We start to find our security in it, our identity in it, and it becomes our God that we worship. We throw everything at it, all of our resources, all of our time, all of our attention. And it was never meant to be that. It's meant to be a tool to worship God. It's not meant to be a God to be worshipped. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That should be an encouragement to us. When our boss misses things that we're doing, when, when, our, when our efforts go unrecognized, you know, the raise doesn't come like we think it should. The recognition doesn't come like we think it should. We can trust in the fact that our labor is not in vain. But the one who we ultimately serve, the one who ultimately has given us that job, takes notice of everything. And our job, our effort is not in vain. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. 
Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or is free. Same idea goes on in Colossians 3, 22-24. The idea of us working for a different master. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. My job is my arena where I show others that I work for a higher boss. My job is my arena. This is, this is your, your place of, of operation. It's your arena. Your job is where you show everybody that you work for a higher boss, that you work for somebody different. My work effort should be a statement about God's worthiness in my life. My job is my arena where I show that I work for a greater salary. I'm working not for pay. I'm working for God's pleasure. I'm working for God's pleasure. My work is for the pleasure of God, even if no one else sees it. My job is not to become my identity, my security, or my source of acceptance. Christ has already provided all those things. The gospel changes the way that we work. I don't work to gain identity, right? So we all kind of shared, this is the things that I do. This is, this is my job. This is what I do during the week. Our jobs do not define us, right? Scripture says that as Christians, that our identity is in Christ. And the Bible has all kinds of things to declare to you about what you are now because you're in Christ. Our identity is sourced in something completely different. It's not in the job that's been given to us. The job is a tool to worship God. Our identity is secure in Christ. My security, my, my, my provision, the, the things that are needed for my family, right? A place to live, food and, and clothing. Those things don't find their source in my job, right? God uses my job to provide those things, but ultimately God can provide those things without my job. He can provide them through a different job. My security doesn't lie with my job. It lies with Christ. My source of acceptance. Right? Like, you don't have to find a job that you can feel good about when somebody says, what do you do for a living? And feel like, okay, I've reached a point of acceptance. Now I'm important. I'm important because this is what I do. That my acceptance is based on what Christ has accomplished for me. My security, my identity, all sourced in Christ. Christ has provided all these things for me, which liberates me now to use my job for his glory. Ultimately, my job is my platform and my area of responsibility to advance the kingdom. Okay, so, so within your job, you work hard, you do your best. All these things are a way of worshiping God. But even in the midst of that, there's still the responsibility to advance the kingdom. To not just quietly go about your business, but to be intentional about directing people to the source of why you do your job this way. Right? 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15, we're going to close with, with this sheet that I want you to kind of take with you and, and, and be contemplating within your own job. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you 
for a reason for the hope that's in you. The Bible says that we're to live in such a way, we're to live provocatively, where it causes people to question, why do you do this? Why do you why why are you always in such a good mood when you when we work this job? Like, let's be honest, like this job isn't satisfying. It's not great. Why do you always seem to be joyful in the midst of having to come here every single day? The pay's not good, the boss isn't good. We're to work our jobs in such a way that it causes those that work with us to say, Why are you the oddball here? Why are you not gossiping about our boss? Why are you not complaining about the raise that we got this year? Why are you not complaining about the change in health care and the provisions that our school's making for you this year? Why are you different? Why, why do you not seem to care about the same things that we do? Why are you not as concerned about our job security, your job security as we are? The way that we work our job is supposed to stimulate questions in other people. Why are you doing it differently than I'm doing it? We both work here. We both get paid about the same. We both work for the same guy. We both have the same crummy hours. We both have the same holiday schedule. Why are you okay with it and I'm not? Supposed to generate questions in the lives of others around us. My job is my platform, my area of responsibility to advance the kingdom. All right, application. Three things. Am I prone to be idle in my work? Am I prone to be idle in my work instead of worshipful? By idle, I mean, are you just doing enough to get by? Are you just doing the job because you need the money, but you're not really intentionally trying to use it as a means of worship? You go, you show up, you do it, you leave, and you're glad that you don't have to go back for several hours. Or do you use it as a real means of worship? Your attitude, your perspective, your effort. Number two, am I prone to worship my work? By finding my security and significance in it. So two extremes. Am I idle in it to where I I do it? Just don't really care about it. Don't do it well. Just do enough to get by. Or do I overcare about it? Do I find all of my significance and all of my security? I can't step away from it for fear that somebody's going to take my job. Right? For some of us, you feel like you can't ever stop working because you feel like the guy next to you is not going to stop working. And somebody's going to beat you out for your job, potentially. Security is not wrapped up in it. Your significance isn't wrapped up in it. Number three, not a question, but more of a statement. Do what you do well for the glory of God. Do what you do well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Do what you do well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Too often times people relocate because of more money or a better place to live. So I'm going to go take this job at this place because it gives more money to me or it's a more desirable place to live. Rarely do people make moves because they believe they can be more strategic for God's kingdom by moving locations. I would challenge you to, to do your job well and to do it in a place where you can be strategic for the kingdom. My prayer and desire is that you guys continue to see that being here, being in this local area. I know that God's going to cost, especially with the, with the amount of young people in our church, there's going to be people that leave because they get better opportunities. They're going to get into local churches in those areas, and that's great. 
But my desire is that the, the maximum amount of people will stay in this area, will find jobs where they can be strategic in this area to both work for God's glory in their job and work to advance the kingdom as a part of this local church. All right? We're going to close. I want to give you this sheet. This is 24 ways. Twenty-four ways to provoke the First Peter three question at work. These are some suggestions by J.D. Greer, who is a pastor in North Carolina. He had twenty-six ways. I took two of them out because I really didn't know what he was talking about. Um, I'm not going to give you something that I don't know what it means. So I, I took those out. Um, Number seven, create a regular time to invite coworkers over or out for drinks. You may not be able to do that because you may not drink. Um, this was this was his idea. You may substitute coffee there. You may substitute a Coke there, right? Like that would be, I, I prefer to go get Coke than, than either of those other options. Um, so yeah, so I, I tried to stay as true to what he said, but I did take a couple of them out because I, I really didn't know what he was talking about. Um, these are just little helpful things that you could potentially do at your job. Maybe it's a job that's not like mine where ministry is just constantly happening. You have to almost generate it, almost create it. These are some things that you could potentially introduce to your job as a way to be more active in trying to worship God there. Um, so I'd encourage you to kind of read through those. If you were to incorporate some of these things, I guarantee you, you would set yourself apart from your coworkers. Maybe not immediately, but they would start to, it would start to create a, a, a question in other people's minds. Why are you different? Why, why are you different in the way that you work this job from everybody else that I see? All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us work, that you've given us a job to do, that you've given us purpose here on this earth. Father, we're thankful that it's not our identity, it's not our security, it's not where we gain our significance. God, we're thankful that you have given us a job as a way of worshiping you. And God, I pray that we would all do our jobs well. Whatever it is we're doing right now, whether we like it or don't like it, God, I pray that we would do it well. That we would do it because we work for you. That you have given it to us as a gift to provide for our needs right now. God, I pray that we would be excellent and efficient and punctual and prepared. That we would be content. That we would see it as a calling. God, give us proper perspective in our jobs uh, this week. God, help us to do it well. Help us to point others to you in the midst of our job. Help us to worship you in it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sobhope.org.